Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. We are live from the Sunspot van, rolling as we speak. Yep, rolling through the dusty highways of Texas. I just saw a tumbleweed I go did. by. No, I didn't. A tumbleweed just slapped me in the face. <laughs> and happy birthday to you, Wendy. Thank you. It's a special day today. Yes, it is. Thanks very much. So uh, we're rolling back from Austin, Texas. Went down there during South by Southwest. We play at the Sweet Music Madness ATX Festival. Yes, and, what a blast. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. Also doing haunted activities. We visited haunted bars in New Orleans, the haunted live stream. Hopefully you guys saw that. It's still on our Facebook. The Paranormal Pub Crawl. That's right. From New Orleans when we went and visited a number of locations. Yep, Jackson Square, St. Louis Cathedral, uh, Muriel's, mm-hmm. and... Um, Pat O'Brien's. Pat O'Brien's, yeah. Yes. That's haunted by the ghost of Ray Walston from My Favorite Martian. <laughs> the fact that... They were like, well, we think it's Ray Walston from My Favorite Martian is my particular favorite. And I confirm that the attendant in the bathroom has witnessed strange things. Paranormal activity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we had a great time doing that. Last night in Austin, we did some special paranormal investigation, and we're going to have a video for you guys to watch later about that. We hung out with our friends in Strangetown again. Yes, Billy and Mark. We had so much fun meeting them in person. Well, and then and then going through a couple of paranormal and right. having a little investigation. Yeah, and they just told us a bunch of really cool stories of experiences they had while filming their TV show Strange Town, mm-hmm. which is on PBS in Texas. Yeah. And also on YouTube, I believe. So Yeah, you can find all the episodes. Yeah. We'll probably link to it in the show notes, othersidepodcast.com slash one thirty six. Yeah, so we're in the van now just to set up the scene. Mike and I are in the back seat. Oh, and it's our new van that we just right. got. Big blue. So we're excited about that. But uh, we've got our friend Stuart at the helm. Stuart, would you like to say hello to the podcast? Hello, podcast people. <laughs> and then we have Joe. Cactus Otherwise Joe. known as Cactus Joe. Otherwise known as Rody Joe. Hello. I was the one who saw the most ghosts. <laughs> he did. He did. He did. We'll put some of Joe's ghost pictures up on the site in the show notes and you can see a little bit of the trip. But before uh, Wendy and I took the party on the road down to Austin, New Orleans, Nashville um, for South by Southwest this year. We did it. Allison and I interviewed Lopaka Kapanui from Haunted Hawaii. All right. So he does the Mysteries of Hawaii Ghost Tour and he really has a great stories and it really was a, a fun interview. And we talked to Allison about her tour when she was there. That right. was with him, right? Yeah, so cool. this is kind of uh, Allison's description of Haunted Hawaii is kind of Haunted Hawaii 101, and Lopaka provides us with the advanced class. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear this, and it's going to put me in a tropical kind of mood. So. I hope it, well, as we head back from 80-degree weather to 30-degree <laughs> weather, yes. let's get in that tropical mood. Lopaka Kapanui is a native Hawaiian who runs Mysteries of Hawaii Ghost Tours. He's a writer, actor, and master storyteller who joins us today from the island of Oahu. Aloha, Lopaka, and mahalo for agreeing to share some of your stories with us. We're also joined by Allison from Milwaukee Ghosts today. How you doing, everybody? Hey! Aloha, good morning. 
Mm-hmm. Aloha! I, I'm so happy that you're on with us today, Lil Paco, because um, when we met, when was that? That's back in 2015, right? Right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just so captivated uh, by you and your stories and uh, just always wanted to get you on the podcast. Um, you know, we'll link in the show notes to an earlier uh, podcast that we did on uh, my trip to Hawaii. But, um, you know, that was really the highlight uh, of the trip, you know, meeting you and your wife, Tanya. Right. <clears throat> it was, uh, I have to say, it was uh, one of the one of the best personal tours that I've, I've given in a while. And the interesting part about it, and Allison, maybe you can talk about it, is how when we went to the cave and your husband's camera sort of uh, did strange things or, or wouldn't do anything at all. Right. Well, um, yeah, can you t- can you give a little background um, about the uh, cave that you took us to? Yeah, you know, in, in, our, uh, in our folklore, the cave belongs to a, a shark god uh, that was part man and, you know, part shark. And the long and, and short of it is he was uh, what we call an aikanaka, uh, a man-eater. And in his human form, he, he seemed not to be a threat at all, but then he would warn people about not going to swim because there might be sharks, and they'd go anyway. Then they'd come back later that day, and, you know, there'd be two or three of them missing, and it, it turns out the very guy that was warning them was the shark god himself. And so over the years, uh, the cave has sort of uh, become like a repository of all these psychic thumbprints, these impressions, these things that have happened. So there's not only ancient things that happen in the cave, but more modern things that go on. Uh, And depending upon the type of people who go into the cave, depends upon what decides to manifest themselves, you know, in front of those people. Or follows them home, for that matter. So um, does this shark god have have a name that we can say? Yeah. yeah, it, his name is Nanawe. Thank you for sharing that. The shark god, is it like a shark? Or is it like a man slash shark? Or like, so what, what's the shark god? What does he look like? Uh, he would look like uh, just an everyday person, but you would have to get him to turn around so you could look at his back because that's where the mouth is hidden. And so for this particular person, Nanawe, his mother made him wear sort of a, a little cape so that nobody would see the, the mouth on his back. And um, in some family traditions, we have a ceremony called Unihipili. So if our family is the shark god, when one of you would die, we would do this ceremony that we would deify you to become a protective shark deity. And so a lot of times when certain type of, types of sharks would appear, uh, the family would recognize it as, as the protector. But I think I mentioned this when Allison was here with her husband, that... Um, it's only that shark that's your protector, which means you can't jump into a school of sharks and expect not to be attacked because you will be. Right. <laughs> don't go surfing and just expect, look, hey, that, don't worry about that shark out there. He, that's like my great, great grandfather. He's got a mouth in his back, but it, that's just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're going through Lil Paca, I you know, I know that, uh, and, and a lot of our podcast listeners know that, that I teach at a Native American school. And um, I know that in um, that world, you know, respect is very important. And, um, you know, I I get that same feeling from you that certain things that we're going to be talking about today, you know, we need to be respectful towards them. And and so, you know, if you just guide us in that regard and if I ask for a name or something and it's not appropriate, just let me know and we won't be offended. Okay. Yeah. Sure. No, um, I'll, I'll I'll take it to the edges of blasphemy, but we're not going to be offended. 
never, it never, be, you know, it never bothered if you say like, you know what? That's hey, come on, man. That's perfectly fine. It's all right. Yeah, Mike's going to take it to the edge. That's, that's where I go. What he does. Nope. <laughs> that's his gift. So, so yeah, we're in this cave, and uh, it was just uh, an incredible experience. Um, you know, Lopaka uh, and his wife were just uh, taking us around to all these sacred spots uh, around the island of Oahu. And uh, I just really cherished that night, I got to tell you. Okay, well, let's it, set that up. If, if, if people haven't yeah. heard that last episode, because last episode came out like 15 months ago. But what happened was you guys met, you took the Mysteries of Hawaii, which is a, a ghost tour and sacred places tour around. And what island is it? Is it Oahu? Well, yeah, we were on Oahu and uh, we actually took the, the Honolulu walking tour. Okay. He has a, a lot of different tours available. So for people who might not know Hawaii, now there's a series of, I mean, we, every, I mean it's a series of islands. All Most Americans at least were hopefully taught that some at some point <laughs> in their life. Get out of map, people. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> Google Maps. But you might not be familiar with all the different islands. So, like, if people are familiar with Hawaii or they're thinking about Magnum PI, that's their experience with Hawaii, <laughs> or no, or Lost uh, or Hawaii Five O. Like, which of TV the TV is our schema? Which of the islands, you know, do, are we are we talking about, and what cities are on that island? Just to just to make it familiar for people who might not have been there. Like, I've never been there yet. So we're talking about uh, the island of Oahu, which is basically the main island uh, where everything happens. And all the other islands are, are sort of a, you know, like outback country, you know, not not as developed uh, as Honolulu, where the main city is at. So that's that's where Alice and her, hus- her husband were at when uh, we met them. Okay. Yeah, and, and it shouldn't be confused with um, the big island yeah. uh, because, you know. It is the main island uh, Oahu is in terms of development, but it's not the largest of, of the islands. Well, that was my is... next question because somebody's like, well, you know, it's it's on the big island. And I always assume the big island equals the main island, but that's not no, the case. That, that's not the case. So, yeah, uh, and that's where Honolulu is located. Um, you know, that's also where many of the TV shows that you mentioned, like Lost, for example, were filmed. And so, uh, as I said, Lopaco offers a lot of different tours, and we had originally gone on his Honolulu walking tour, right? Uh, is there an official name for it? Oh, Ghosts of Old Honolulu. Ghosts of Old Honolulu. So we went on that, and then, of course, you know, I'm always introducing myself to people and giving out cards for the Milwaukee Ghost Tour, because, you know, Milwaukee, that's that's like the second destination. You know, after you've been to Honolulu, you want to yep. make sure you get to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Everybody Absolutely. wants to go to a dilapidated <laughs> Rust Belt city. That's the first thing. Like, <laughs> now that I've seen now that I've seen beauty, can you show me an abandoned factory? Yes. Can you show me urban blight? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, that the two sides, you know, on the, on the continuum of life. But yeah, so then after we met, um, you know, Lopaka was just so friendly and we uh, he invited us to come out and see some sacred sites uh, around the, the island of Oahu. So um, one of the sites he took us to was this sacred cave and the, the coolest part of that well i don't know there's lots of cool coolest part is the shark god right there (laughs) yeah well okay let's get that let's get that straight but um did you sing there i know that uh for some of the at some of the sites you sang for permission i'm not sure if you it's uh in hawaiian it's called an uli or a chant and uh, the chant is offered before you enter a sacred place to basically basically uh announce who you are if you have any familial ties to that location 
and also to to ask for permission to enter, but also to ask uh, for protection for yourself, uh, for myself as the host, uh, for instance, and for for you, your husband, and for my wife. And what normally happens, it sounds strange, but I will receive a telepathic message that it's okay to enter, take as long as you want, or sometimes a message will be, okay, you got five minutes. <laughs> and that was the case. The yeah. shark god wasn't sure. He the shark the god didn't want a bunch of Polacks sitting in his cave. <laughs> That's right. He's like, get these Polacks out of here. Uh, <laughs> well, we look tasty. Uh, right. <laughs> like Polish sausage. Um, but yeah, so we had five minutes and uh, we, we went in. And um, so for me, the exciting part was that I saw something. Uh, for Scott, the exciting part was that um, he has his camera out, and it was just working outside. And we get in the cave, and he just can't—he can't get it to work at all. And then we left the cave. As soon as he got out across the threshold, it worked again. So we don't know what was happening there. But I can share too that. Um, so we're looking around the cave, and. Um, I thought I saw something move, you know, in the corner of my eye, uh, in, in the upper part of the cave. I, I thought I saw something and, and I looked and I was going to disregard it because we had flashlights, of course. And because it's, you know, dark, there's no How lighting. big is the cave? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, floor to ceiling, it's, it's pretty big. But as far as, you know, the length of the cave, it's, it's really not, not that big. It's not that uh, deep, but huh? it is high. It is high, but it's, uh, like I said, it's a repository of psychic energy. And so there's constantly things going on in there that a lot of times you don't expect to happen. But go ahead. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I saw something out of the corner of my eye. And, um, you know, I would have just discounted because, like I said, we have flashlights. We're waving them up and down the walls of the cave. And I thought, well, I must have just caught, you know, I saw a light. And I'm, it must have just been somebody's flashlight you know that went up a little high but then you looked at me little paka and then you said you saw something didn't you (laughs) and so let's talk let's unpack that a little bit because i'm not sure what happened there because like i said i was going to discount it but because of your reaction then i didn't well real quick so i'm trying to picture it visually you guys are in kind of a shallow but high cave and it's yep. dark in there. So how big is the entrance when you think about look what time of day what time of day is this? It's it's night. Okay, so it's you're night. like nighttime. It's, all, it's dark. It's like I don't know, 10, 11 maybe. So, so there's no yeah. natural light coming in the entrance. No. Not at all. Not at all. So all you guys have are your flashlights. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And the inside of the cave, you know, when I think of a cave, I think of like a slimy inside, you know, (laughs) well, especially near the ocean. And Hawaii is pretty near the ocean. Uh, So so what's the inside of the cave like? Like, what's the the surface? You go ahead, Allison. We'll work off of your memory. (laughs) Uh, Well, I didn't I didn't find it slimy at all. Uh, I don't know if I actually touched the walls as far as how high it is above me. um, It. Just, just very, very high, wide cave entrance, um, and uh, you know, I don't know how many feet that would be. You know, I don't want to misjudge and say something really huge. But no, but, but that's a high know, cave. You it, know, it, it's like cathedral. It's, it's oh, like yeah. a, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna describe it like that. It's, you know, cathedral esque, 
And, you know, I was hoping it went really deep inside and we'd go through all these winding caverns. But no, it is very shallow in that sense. Um, I mean, it, it's not like a grotto. I mean, there is, you know, you can go a little bit further back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's not, not something where you're going to get lost in it. But the only light you have is flashlights. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And I saw something glimmer uh, to the side of me, up and to the side. And um, I just thought that was unusual and especially unusual because little Paca seemed to notice something as well. And so I want you to elaborate, little Paca, on anything you might have noticed. So even though we only have flashlights and it's, you know, pretty dark outside of that, I don't know if I've got some sort of ability or something but um when i'm in the cave uh especially on on those occasions where the psychic energy for lack of a better term is is potent um i don't know if it's hyper focused or hyper sensitive but even without looking at allison i could see something about her body language that indicated that she did see something you know and that happens a lot and so that's why i asked her or i said you know you saw something didn't you because there's a a certain type of body language that happens when people are in that cave, you know, that indicates to me that they either saw something or something either walked up behind them and, you know, said something to them. Yeah. So um, I- I'm curious, though, as to what other people have seen. Like I said, I just saw a glimmer and I wondered, you know, so you get telepathic messages, uh, you know, from spirit, which, you know. I understand now that I've had a little bit more experience, uh, you know, what that might be like. Um, although I haven't had extensive experience in that area, but you know, I've certainly felt like I'm getting messages, uh, that I need to listen to, um, from certain things in the environment. Um, but I, you know, I'm just curious about like what you have seen or what, what it's like for you, uh, is it, if it's sensory, uh, for me, it's not, it's not something that's sensory. It's, it's something, it's something different. Uh, it's just a, a feeling and then it kind of unfolds over days, uh, or it's a thought that comes to me that doesn't seem to be my own. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about what it's like for you and, and, uh, you know, what you've seen and, and heard in that location. For myself, um, you know, I'll, I'll share this with you because I like you guys already. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, we like you too. <laughs> uh, everything I've learned as a, a native Hawaiian cultural practitioner was taught to me and passed down to me from my mother and my aunt. And learning these things, so one of the things they emphasized is that we as native Hawaiians were connected to our environment always have to realize that our ancestors are, are literally walking side by side with us. And, you know, that's, that's basically what's happening. When I offer a prayer, uh, the ancestors begin to communicate. And like I said, sometimes they'll say five minutes and some, sometimes they'll say not tonight. And it depends upon uh, the type of moon phase that's prevalent as to whether we can enter or can't. And so when I walk into the cave, I'll, I'll see... People from ancient times, uh, some of the deities that reside in the cave, or I'll also see people who died in more more recent times, you know, within the last 20 to 30 years. So I grew up with this understanding that the ancestors are like right next to you. There's really no veil. And then in 2008, a guy gives me his uh, 
iPad Nano, I guess, and there's a podcast on it. He says, listen to this. And I forget who the people were. I think it was Donna Stewart that was hosting the show. Um, but long story short, they had a guy that they were talking to, and it turns out that's uh, Lloyd Arbach. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Lloyd's the balls. <laughs> and and, and we, we should certainly link to that podcast you did with him, Mike. Yeah, and Lloyd's going to be in Chicago this year, so I can't wait to meet him. Oh, in nice. Awesome. Um, so I was completely blown away because here was here was a, a completely non-Hawaiian academic explanation of everything that I've been experiencing in my life, especially when he talks about, uh, you know, the conscious surviving the physical death of its own body and everything. It entirely Western, but it, it made sense. It brought home the point that, you know, I'm, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, that really opened up my world and explained especially a lot of what happens in a cave. And it helps me to deal a lot more effectively uh, with those things. Uh, culturally when you were talking about how you uh you know you had these uh, you learned a lot from your your mother and your aunt like when did you start maybe having it like you're saying that you don't know if it's a sixth sense but you can tell maybe when people have had an experience or now that you've been around so many people have had experiences probably on your tours and these locations when was the first time you noticed something happening to you that was supernatural uh, when I was uh, six years old, I was, um, I was adopted, but I knew my bio- biological mother when we were talking about my whole life. And uh, I had to go to a place called Children's Hospital here to get my ki- kidneys cleaned out. And during my stay in that, that hospital, uh, my adopted father's mom would come every single day, uh, sit down, and we would talk. And she'd tell me about those stories growing up in the plantation days. And uh, at one point, a bunch of us were bored, and one of the kids snuck in a, a bottle of Coca-Cola. And so we uh, hid down the stairwell, and we all shared a bottle of Coke. Well, I almost died that day. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I remember while I was on the table, I know an operation was going on. Something was happening. But right on the perimeter of where I was laying in, in the room getting the, uh, the surgery or, or whatever, there was my adopted father's mom. Uh, there was a little boy who, at the beginning of the month, uh, he was staying next to me in that hospital room, and he died. And I remember after he died, he wanted to come come and play with me, and I was going to let him jump on the bed. And uh, my adopted father's grandmother told me, "No, he's he's actually not alive. And if you play with him, you'll you'll never come back." So he was there, and then there was a voice in Hawaiian that kept asking the boy and uh, my grandmother in Hawaiian. What will it be? You know, will he live or will he die? And who will speak for him? And so my adopted grandmother says, I will speak. You know, the, the decision is that he should live. And so I get better. And when it's time for me to go home, on the way home, I'm telling my adopted parents, so by the way, you know, grandma came every day and talked to me and we hung out. And they didn't say anything. We got home and my adopted father went in the room and brought out a picture of adopted grandmother and said, is, is this what she looked like? I said, yeah, that's exactly what she wore. And come to find out during my stay in the children's hospital, she'd actually passed away. And wow. they, they didn't want to tell me because they didn't want to make it set. And so after all of that happened is when all these strange things started to happen. You know, I would see things, hear things, uh, see people. And finally, my... Wait, she, bio- passed, she passed away, but like, so she was appearing while yes. she was already on the other side. 
already on the other side. Oh, that story is, I mean, it's obviously very tragic, but what a great story. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's like six cents. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that, because, because you, you know, it, it seems to me that you did not recognize that she had passed. No. Did you? The, I mean, you thought she was there hanging out. like the others. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of times I would be given medication to take in the morning, and when I'd wake up, she'd be sitting there. And um, she would talk about growing up during the plantation era and, you know, the things that she experienced, just everyday conversations. Uh, but after all of that happened, when I began to have experiences, I think it's because I almost died. Um, my biological mother, you know, tells me, even back then, she says, you know, it's not because of anything religious. You're not being influenced by evil or the devil. She said, it's because you're Hawaiian. And she said, and our people are closely connected to our environment, uh, spiritually, physically. And she told me, when you get older, you know, we'll sit and we'll talk more about it. Wow. Yeah. And so that's how it all started. <laughs> well, and I think um, that that a lot of people can have experiences. And when you when you come from the dominant culture, you feel the influence of the dominant culture, you know, uh, materialism, reductionism, uh, you you feel crazy, I think. I mean, because you don't know, well, how can I reconcile this? Uh, with, you know, what the greater world is, is, or the modern world, you know, all these, um, all these, uh, value judgments, which, which really don't, uh, hold to reality, uh, is saying to you. So, so you're, you're looking at the dominant culture and, you know, you don't quite fit. Uh, but I think, you know, um, o over here too, lots of people will have experiences like that and they're not sure what to do with it. And, and for me, what I've um, come to realize is that there's many ways that you can look at the world and, you know, many gifts, uh, you know, from each of those viewpoints. And so the way I see it now is that, okay, yes, it's going to sound crazy when I tell uh, certain stories to the dominant culture, uh, to people who ascribe to that. But for myself, I need to decolonize my belief system and realize that I can choose and that there's much more out there uh, than uh, the materialists would have us believe. Well, I think, Allison, too, at the same time, though, we're so, like, this is also a very polarized time where if you have some kind, like, we talk about being, I think it's amazing the idea of a culture being close to the land and being connected to a place because while there are certain places that I feel are sacred to me that I love and have, you know, and then I enjoy there or I find, I try to, I take them seriously inside. You know how you, you the sacred is you, you take it seriously inside when you're there and you're like, I'm going to appreciate this. I'm going to do it. But then it hasn't been for generations or you, you know, like, like Hawaiian sacred places, like you guys have had it for, so when you're talking to your, uh, your grandmother, or you're talking to your mother, you know, they have generations behind it. You know, that, yeah. that make that kind of place sacred. And it's amazing. And so there's a connection to a place and a connection to the, the spirit of the place that a lot of us in, uh, the, you know, regular, you know, we think of mainstream culture uh, don't get to have because it's just too, everything's too new. And at the same point, when you try to talk about that, it's too much like, well, you sound like a fundamentalist or you sound like a hippie or you sound like everything. So all this stuff doesn't, you can't, rec it, it, the hard part is 
the polarization and politicization of everything where we can't just say like, you know what, it's okay to feel this connection, it's okay to feel spiritual, and it's okay to enjoy video conferencing with people halfway around the world too. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, Lopaka, I'm just really thrilled that, uh, you know, we, we've made this connection. Um, and uh, there are people from from this this culture from the dominant culture who, um, you know, can be appreciative of, you know, the things that, that, um, Hawaiian culture offers like, like Glenn Grant, for instance, let's, let's talk a little bit about him. And, um, one of the reasons I I was so excited to go on, uh, your Honolulu tour was, you know, in reading that it, it was the original, um, Oahu ghost tour and remembering, Glenn Grant, who was um, a collector of stories uh, in Hawaii since 1971. That's like a reminds, superhero secret identity name. Yeah, well, it reminds <laughs> us. Yeah, that's true. It um, it reminds me right. of um, of Richard Crow here in, in the states in Chicago, and uh, he he was somebody who um, you know started uh, uh, ghost tours uh, in Chicago in 1973. And um, that inspired Mike and I to, mm-hmm. to do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I think of Glenn Grant, I think of him as the Richard Crow of Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Glenn Grant, in his own words, you know, he, he used to say, I'm, I'm just a Jewish kid from Hollywood. Uh, but he's, he's from Culver City. His father is one of the guys who uh, put together this this robot that would be a part of a TV series called, called Lost in Space. <gasps> what? Oh Danger Will Robbie. <laughs> oh, Danger Will to... Robinson. Sweet. Right. And they, they use that robot in a whole bunch of, you know, movies and TV series. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Grant says uh, his next door neighbor was uh, Rin Tin Tin. Oh, wow. sure. Right. And so one day he says he and his friends are playing in his little plastic pool and, you know, the dog Rin Tin Tin jumps over the fence, jumps in the pool, the kids scatter and uh, Glenn's left by himself and he gets mauled by Rin Tin Tin. And, oh, uh, not no. so friendly now, yeah. Cujo. <laughs> and so he says uh, when he finally gets out of the hospital, his older brother and sister take him, wounded and everything, sit him on a chair in the front yard and charge everybody five cents to look at my brother who got mauled by the movie star. <laughs> <laughs> it's like early well, TMZ. There you go. It's like early TMZ. Turn it into opportunity. But this this is going to make sense to you, and I'm, I'll try to give you the edited version. So Glenn's best friend who was responsible for bringing Glenn to Hawaii is uh, uh, Dr. Dennis Ogawa, professor of American history. And Dr. Ogawa grew up up the street from uh, the Santa Monica Pier, and his father owned the business on the whole block, and after World War II, you know, that whole thing happened. And Dr. Ogawa says, you know, every time they'd hang out at the pier, this they used to see this kid just sitting by himself or, you know, eating by himself. Somebody tells uh, Dr. Ogawa, well, Dennis Ogawa, why don't you go tell that kid to come over? You know, he's always by himself. You know, tell Aww. him to hang out with us. And Dennis Ogawa says, No. We bring that guy over here. We let him hang out. We feed him. He's going to be like a dog. He'll keep coming back. He'll never go away. <laughs> and so, uh, long story short, Glenn Grant and Dennis Ogawa become really best friends. So when Dr. Ogawa gets an opportunity to come to University of Hawaii, he brings Glenn over. And Glenn himself, and this is his 
face-to-face story that he's telling me, aside from the one that's printed in his book. He said he's living in a dilapidated old shack down the road from the University of Hawaii with four other guys, their candidates for their doctorates. And he said the first week they, they live there, they wake up every night because somebody's in the kitchen slamming the drawers, shaking up all the cutlery, making a whole Somebody. bunch of... Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> they all wake up late at night and there's nobody in the kitchen. And he says about a, about a week later, one of the guys comes home early from a class and he's taking a shower. And the shower curtain's very clear, but he can see a silhouette coming toward him and he figures it's his girlfriend. So he opens the shower curtain and he says, somebody open hand slaps him right across the face. Oh, that sounds like my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he washes. You deserve it, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> he washes the soap off his face and, and, and he sees that the doors, the bathroom door is locked from the inside. Nobody's in there. And Glenn Grant says a short time after that, he comes home from a class with his girlfriend and his roommate, Thomas, down the hallway sleeps on a military cot with the you know the military blanket and he says thomas is coughing really badly sounds like he's going to choke up a lung and so he opens the door he says i got to tap my friend on the on the foot even though the blanket's you know covered covering him he says when he touches the blanket it just falls flat there's nobody on the cot so all the guys got the landlord to come over the older japanese lady and individually they they tell her about all their experiences the old Japanese lady who's the landlord smiles and says, oh, I forgot to tell you guys. Ah. The woman who lived in this house before you, her husband fooled around. He cheated. And so she hung herself in the kitchen. She hates men. <laughs> There's got to be some kind of legal disclosure about that. Like, <laughs> That's hey, right. this is a suicide man-hater. <laughs> so Glenn says, after that, within six months... Every single guy that lived in that house, they all died one by one in these really bad car accidents. And he said the only person that survived their car accident, Glenn Grant said, was, was his. Wow. Uh, yeah. He walked away with a scratch over his head. So that was the beginning of his interest in, you know, uh, local folklore and Hawaiian supernatural beliefs. Wow. Yeah, because that one's terrible. Because that's like, um, that's, a, that's a really bad run of luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rent and tin thing is going to make sense to you because um, after Glenn began uh, doing ghost tours in the late 70s, he ran into this uh, girl who was possessed by what the Japanese call the, the Inugami or the Japanese dog demon. And that she had she'd actually physically attacked him. And um, and he's like, if I can handle rent and tin, I can handle you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it it actually psychically and emotionally scarred him pretty bad. Oh. Uh, and she she returned back to Hawaii because she left after that and started to stalk him. And he didn't know it was her because, you know, she lost some weight, changed her hair color. Um, he says the only reason he finally recognized the fact that this was the same woman who used to be the possessed girl that attacked him was, uh, he said, during the time that she was possessed by this Japanese dog demon, she tore off all of her fingernails. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, mm. right in front of him and his, you know, the girl's father and, and the Japanese priest. So now here she is a few years later as an adult woman. As he's talking to her, he realizes there's all these funny looking scars underneath her fingernails. And he's like, oh, my God, that's that's the person. And so she actually uh, physically attacked him and stabbed him with the scissors. And he actually showed me the wound. Oh, man. Glenn and it's, women. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he, he said, I don't know what it is. Every place I go, I encounter something that has to do with a dog spirit, a dog demon. Or in the case of uh, the, the other tour that Allison went on, there's a, a, what we call a, a kupua, a demigod, that's part man, part dog, and his name is his kaupe. And kaupe is like a protective deity that used to help people who were lost, but uh, somewhere along the line, the legend becomes misconstrued. They say because of the inf the influence of uh, the missionary beliefs that Kalpe suddenly became a cannibal dog. And so Glenn Grant had an encounter with this, this being called Kalpe. And it's on the, uh, the windward side of the island, and there's a bridge that nobody likes to drive over anywhere past 2 o'clock in the morning. And let's talk about the, the, the windward and the leeward, because uh, if you haven't been on the island, you, you probably don't, that people probably don't know, um, you know, what that means. So, so the, right. the, the leeward like, is, is a ship. Is yeah. Ship the leeward is, is, a uh, is, um, you know, dry. It's, it's very desert like surprisingly so. And yeah. then the windward is tropical jungle. Just so lush and incredible. Yeah. Uh, th did I describe it correctly? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I have to also add a note in that, um, you know, when when I was there in, in Hawaii, you know, hearing about these these dogman legends there um, was incredible because uh, we have our own dogman here in Wisconsin, the Bray Road Beast. And um, it just sounded so similar, the, the idea that along the road you might meet this beast and uh, you might you know, be driving by and catch him in the car headlights, which is very, very like uh, descriptions here in Wisconsin of the Bray Road Beast. Right. And in that area are uh, petroglyphs of, you know, of this, this demigod, this deity, this, this dog man. And so it, it traces itself back uh, to ancient times. And a lot of Hawaiians believe even before the migration of the first Polynesians to come to the archipelago, uh, that he had already been here. So when they showed up, the dogman was there waiting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so originally in traditional Hawaiian belief, uh, how do you say his name again? Kaupe? Oh, yeah, Kaupe. Kaupe. You know, he was a protective uh, spirit yeah. or a demigod. And, um, you know, could you describe a little bit more about him and, and the people's interactions with him even today? You know, it, and again, it, it plays into even werewolf uh, lore because he's, you know, animal on top, human being on the bottom. And I'll tell you, the most uh, recent encounter of, of Kalpe was in the 70s. Uh, retired police officer Gary Diaz records in one of his books that he and six other police officers are called to uh, Hawaii Hau Church, the oldest church in downtown Honolulu, the one we went to on the, on the tour. Mm. Oh, sweet. And... The alarm company is, has called the police and they're saying, you know, brand new gymnasium on the church grounds, brand new court. We can hear somebody walking around that sounds like claws and, you know, he's howling like a wolf inside the gym and the people are complaining. So uh, Gary Diaz says they, they meet the caretaker. They're walking across the graveyard officers, you know, six, seven abreast. And he says all of a sudden the front door to the gymnasium, which is actually locked by a padlock, it bursts open, and Gary says the toughest police officer in front of him drops to his knees and starts praying the novena. He says because this massive creature that was animal on top, human on the bottom, bounded out of the doors from the gym, jumped over the police officers, 
and jumped onto the roof of the church, which is pretty high. And then it turned around and looked at them, and the eyes started to glow red, and then it, it disappeared. Yeah, so, screw that. Right. <laughs> and so Gary Diaz asked, you know, I, I've heard these legends about Kulke, but why, why would he be at, at a downtown church in the middle of Honolulu? Well, that church used to be an old Hawaiian temple, the Heiau. The funny thing about our culture was sort of like the Egyptians. When royalty is buried, we also have uh, those guardian spirits, those beings that are sort of put there with them to stand as guardians. And I, I said to the officer, I said, I'm not sure, but either the royalty that's buried on the grounds of this church might have had guardian deity that was, you know, half animal, half human being, or it could very well be Kalpe himself, because there are lava tubes that come down from where he's seen outside of Honolulu, uh, right underneath the palace grounds and underneath the church. So who knows? Now, did Glenn have, um, did he collect any stories of Kaupe or, or have his own uh, interactions? Yeah, he, uh, he writes about being in a place called uh, Kipapa Gulch. And he, he writes about hearing his name being called as if somebody's asking for help. And when he goes to investigate uh, a few times, there's nobody there. And all of a sudden, he's attacked and knocked down by this creature that he can only describe as half-human, half-dog. And he can actually hear it growling, you know, the breath on the back of his neck. So Glenn, Glenn himself had that experience? I believe... No, I stand corrected. It was uh, an experience he wrote about in his first book that happened to someone else. But... The thing with Glenn, a lot of times, is people in Hawaii are funny, so he either had to change the names or the locations because people didn't want to be... Uh, Associated with so, dogmen? Yeah, being crazy. Yeah. A lot, of the, a lot of these times, these were Glenn's own personal experiences, which he sort of altered uh, right. for personal now, reasons. Now, um, so Glenn, um, he is somebody that uh, was was, you know, famous beyond Hawaii in that, you know, he appeared on a very uh, popular paranormal radio show, uh, Coast to Coast AM. And I remember listening to Glenn Grant's, um, as he called them, chicken skin stories, um, you know, way back when Art Bell was the host. And then I think the last time he was on there was uh, 2002. Now, how did you get involved with Glenn and, and become the heir to his legacy? I was... Uh... Uh, dancing hula for my cousin and one night he says to us uh, and it's it's all guys because you know men were the ones who danced hula women were not allowed back in the day and he says uh we're we're gonna do a, a ghost tour out to the, the leeward coast out to Waianae with my friend and he never said who his friend was and a week later i go on the downtown uh, ghost tour and there's this guy who's talking about all these these things that I heard about growing up. And so that sort of gave it validation. At the end of the tour, he introduces himself as Glenn Grant. So the following week at the hula class, my cousin says, oh, don't forget, we're doing the, uh, the ghost tour out to I with my friend Glenn Grant. And so we, we participated in part of that tour. My cousin co-hosted the tour. And one year, my cousin couldn't make it. And so Glenn said, well, who's going to do Keone's part? Because I don't know the Hawaiian part. And my cousin Keone says, well, uh, Lopaka can do it because he's good at, you know, hearing, seeing, and retaining information. So I did the tour, and uh, that was Saturday. And I remember Monday, uh, Glenn called me and said, 
hey, that was really good. You did really well. And he says, I, I love your cousin a lot. Please don't say anything to him, but it was a lot better than, <laughs> than he did it. And he said, if I gave you some more work, would you mind? I said, yeah, sure. And so that eventually led to uh, Glenn mentoring me in, in uh, to doing these ghost tours. And when it was finally official, uh, he was hosting a book signing in his old store. And he stopped everything. And he says, everybody... Uh, I want all of you to know I now have a Hawaiian who can do these tours because Glenn said, really, it's supposed to be a Hawaiian person doing it, not him. And I'm looking around the store for the Hawaiian person that Glenn Grant is talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you know, it's it's Lopaka. I'm like, what? He says, yeah. Well, he wanted to concentrate on a, a you know radio shows and writing more books. And that, sure. that's basically how it started. The reason I honor him so much, is, as much as I can, is because one thing happened. Um, during the time that I knew him, I, I was out of work for about six months. It was, was hard to find a job. I wasn't happy where I was teaching at. And I don't know how Glenn found out, but he showed up at my, my apartment one day and rung the doorbell. I opened it, and I said, hey, boss, what are you doing here? And he hands me a blank check. And he says, I, I know you're having a hard time, so you know, go ahead and take of your family. And I blank check, and I says, well, you know, I can't pay you back because I'm not really getting that much of uh, off of unemployment he says i'm not worried about money he said you know don't worry about paying me just paying me back just fill it out for the amount you need and just take care of yourself and your family he says don't go crazy <laughs> <laughs> um, but that wow. that pretty much you know uh cemented my my loyalty and my my love for this guy sure and, and then when when did um when did we lose glenn uh june 19th uh, 2003 He'd already had uh, two forms of cancer, so it didn't take long, you know, once he was finally diagnosed. So you've been holding down the paranormal fort? I guess, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, thank you for, for talking to us about Glenn. I mean, I, I really, you know, enjoyed hearing him on Coast to Coast. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that, that you're carrying on his legacy. Now, uh, you mentioned in there that, that um, you, you were a teacher. Uh, what, what were you teaching at the time? I was uh, teaching at a Hawaiian language uh, immersion school. So it's regular oh, wow. curriculum, but being taught entirely in the Hawaiian language. Oh, wow. So, so you were, uh, I teach fourth grade. So you, you were a teacher like I am right now, except in the language. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. And then I, I, a little bird told me that uh, you were also at one time a pro wrestler. I thought Mike might like that. I, was, I used to love wrestling. I still do. Well, I don't, I don't yeah. know any of the new guys, but I, I, I still love all the classic wrestlers. Yeah. Um, who were the classic wrestlers? Paul, Paul Hogan and who else? Paul Hogan was Crocodile Dundee. Oh, no, not Paul Hogan. Not Paul. Okay, Paul Hogan, sorry. Yeah, you know, Paul, <laughs> Paul Hogan and Macho Dan. Get out of here. Macho Dan. Okay, well, Mike, you got to step in. Okay, who, well, no, I'm interested. Favorites? I'm interested. Like, how do you get into pro? Like, I, and, and we talked about that you also do you some acting and stuff. You, how did right. you get into well, talking about Hulk Hogan? There is, is what Hulk you meant by Hogan. Said, Paul Hogan. But and that was my <laughs> that was when I was coming up. I would watch those wrestlers when I was a little kid. So how yeah. did you get involved in wrestling, Lapaka? Uh, when I when I got in wrestling, got involved in wrestling, the the business was was still tight. They had something called kayfabe, you know. Hmm. So it's like being a you know wrestling magician suspending disbelief. That whole thing. Uh, a nephew of mine put me in a figure for a leg lock. 
Oh yeah. And you know, and I had to find out how he did it. And once, you know, instead of going going to watch wrestling on TV to find out how he did it, I decided the way to get him back was to enroll in a professional wrestling school. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and at that time, uh, a woman by the name of Leah Maivia was in charge of the promotion. She was being assisted by a former member of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, uh, uh, Lars Anderson. And I remember one day I had to, to meet the promoter, Leah, uh, in downtown Honolulu to go have lunch and talk about a few business things. And she says, you know what? I don't like the food here, so I'm going to order from Kentucky Fried Chicken. I said, can you do that? You're in another person's restaurant. They <laughs> said, no, they don't care. She says, uh, I'll, I'm going to call my grandson. He'll come down. So the grandson comes down, very tall, good-looking, uh, you know, young uh, Samoan, half Samoan, half African-American, and very polite. He says, sir, w- would you like something from uh, KFC? I, you know, I'd be more than glad to get it for you. I said, no, brother, I'm fine. He goes, okay. And then as he's walking out, the uh, promoter goes, Dewey, come back, you know, give grandma a kiss in Samoan. So he gives her a kiss. That kid was The Rock. Oh, <gasps> and his nickname was Dewey. That's the best. Oh, Dwayne Dewey. oh I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's the rock. <laughs> that was the rock. Oh, oh man. There, there are a lot of stories of, of the rock in Hawaii that I've heard. Incredible oh, yeah. guy. Uh, so, uh, did you have a wrestling name? Yes. Uh, I wrestled under a mask for a while. Uh, the name was Black Rain. Nice. Black Rain. And I was <laughs> trained uh, in what they now call the Japanese hard style. So, not so much. Uh, you know the american pro wrestling style but the japanese uh strong style is a lot more it's a lot more contact <laughs> okay yeah. yeah i heard when the wrestlers go over to japan like that's some brutal work they got to do yeah but you know it's it's the way you make your bones in the business you you gain respect and so we were we were trained in a muay thai kickboxing uh russian sambo wrestling and the sensei who was teaching us was about 5 feet tall with a kendo stick and just mean mean as hell but, but Just he like says, me, five foot, five foot tall and mean as hell. Yeah, that's uh, how I describe yeah. my sister. <laughs> <laughs> but he told us, he says, the reason why I'm teaching you to, to fight for real first is, you know, when you get to learn, well, basically the fake stuff, if somebody in, in the ring doesn't want to cooperate, you know what to do. Mm. Ah. Yeah, because there's, there's nice. some guys who don't want to do the program and, and they want to shoot. And what a shoot is, they, is they want to do the hold for real. They want to punch you for real. But if you've got all these skill be- skills behind you, you basically know what to do to tie them up and just say, hey, are we going to make money? You're going to be an idiot. Right. Right. Wow. Just, just incredible. Uh, you know, you have, you have such a, uh, you know, incredible uh, backstory. Uh, you know, just. Has any of your you, wrestling, like, did, yeah. you, did you have any paranormal experiences related to wrestling? Did, like, like, did, nice. you, ever, did you ever yeah. see, like, a dead person behind the wrestler? You're saying, like, dude, I can see your grandma behind me, and even she wants me to kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> we had a match at the uh, Marine base uh, one time, and there, there were a bunch of uh, old Marines who passed away who, who were at the venue. Uh, you can go on the Mysteries of Honolulu fan page on Facebook. And I think you got to scroll down maybe back to January and you'll, you'll see me in a, a real quick match where I'm wearing a nice clothes. And the backstory behind that is um, Glenn Grant's former uh, partner and ex-girlfriend. Every time I would have a wrestling match, and this is toward the very end of my career, uh, I, was, I would always tell her, don't book the ghost tour on this Saturday because I got a wrestling match. And she booked it anyway. 
And so there's no way I could get out of it. So I got on the tour bus <laughs> and I told these people, I said, listen, here's what's going on. Uh, I've been double booked and there's a wrestling match happening about a couple of blocks away from here. So here's what's going to happen. The bus is going to roll into the parking lot. All of you are going to get on the bus. You're going to go into the place, sit in the front row. I'm going to go downstairs, talk to the booker. You're going to see me run in the ring. I'm going to win the match. And then everybody get out and go back to the bus. <laughs> That's the greatest ghost tour and in history. Ghost tour. I know, right? And, so, and, you know, you're hearing it here today. I mean, if you want the best ghost tour experience in <laughs> Hawaii, you got to check out uh, Lopaka because, you know, not only is he going to give you, you know, the real deal uh, in terms of stories, but uh, he, he also can protect you both from the spiritual and the physical. He's going to make the black rain fall down, brother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so I get in there and they they see me do my thing and you know I get the one two three and they scoot out they go back to the bus I go downstairs get my paycheck and I get on the bus and there's dead silence and I grab the microphone I said so is anybody gonna give me a hard time and the whole bus just erupts <laughs> <and> <laughs> oh, no hecklers tonight <laughs> That's fantastic. Put you in the headlock. Put you in the just, headlock. Just one of those situations where I had to think on on the fly. <laughs> Right. Well, that is sweet. Video. I, that you video. Know, who wouldn't love that? Well, yeah. well, speaking, I, we'll, we'll have to, I'll look for the video in the show notes uh, and we'll get that in that. That'll be othersidepodcast.com slash 136. Now, before we move on to a couple last questions that I make sure we want to get to before we got to roll. Also, so if you've been doing some acting around Hawaii, I know they, they film a lot of stuff there because the, the jungle locations and the tropical area can really fill in for most of the world. Have you had a chance to like try out or be part of uh, any cool stuff that's been filmed or taped in Hawaii? I've been in uh, two different episodes of Hawaii Five-0. Uh, I died both times. <laughs> oh, man. So you were like a heavy that got sh- like, you know, that's like, the- were you a bad guy or a good guy or just a I'll passerby? You know. One of those innocent guys that gets accident, accidentally shot. So the good thing is I had dialogue. Uh, I also, I've done two separate movies, uh, both from a German film company. So that was released in uh, in Germany. And I forget entirely what it's called in German. <laughs> but was it, it, was, but was, it was paranormal related or crime related? Or what, what kind of thing was it? Uh, crime related. The first one, I, I played the chief of police. And funny story is while I'm filming, my wife texts me because we're in Maui and she says, I just got hit by a car. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's a whole other story. And the second one is I, I played an attorney for, for a guy who uh, committed murder. And those are those are great experiences. And of wow. course, uh, a lot of uh, travel channel stuff, you know, mysteries at the museum, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Like what a, what I mean, what a beautiful area and what a lot of fun. Like, especially did you have to speak in, like, did you have to speak in German or did you, were you able to do it in English and then they just did the subtitles or whatever? Yeah, I had to, uh, they trained me to look, look for the last few lines in Germany and that was my cue, uh, German. And then my cue came after that, uh, both in English and in Hawaiian. Oh, so you got to do it. You got to actually perform in Hawaiian then too. Yeah. Most of the dialogue. The funny thing, it was, uh. You know, those those German actors, they're, they're really uh, cerebral. So it was like being in a, a Bergman film, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like an art film theme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lopaka, you know, one other connection that I wanted to talk to you about, you know, regarding um, Hawaiian stories, as you have something called a, a call and ghost. And um, 
we have some similar things going on here, perhaps uh, locally. So could you describe the calling ghost for us? Well, the background of it is my parents, my mom always told us, uh, if you're ever out late at night and you hear an unfamiliar voice call your name, you're supposed to spit on the ground and swear and run for your life and certainly never answer. Huh. So I do that uh, anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the calling spirit is, uh, uh, appears as a beautiful woman. And she only appears to men, and she calls them by their first name or by a name that nobody else knows them by except, you know, uh, immediate family or close people. But she only calls uh, the men from behind, uh, never to their face. And there's been documented uh, incidents of that throughout the ages until as recently as um, last year. And so the, what she's waiting for is, is for the man to answer because that's, that's why she's so beautiful. Because the man is so entranced and, and so hypnotized and curious as to how, how does Megan Fox know me by my first name? <laughs> right. right. So uh, always, always the mistake the man makes is that he does answer. And so she uses her physical beauty to seduce him uh, because she can't do anything physical to him. And she's luring him to a place where he'll, he'll basically die, fall off a cliff, fall into a lava tube, get hit by traffic. That's, that's basically the purpose of the calming spirit here. So she's luring him into a fatal situation. Absolutely. And um, so something to be said about fidelity in a relationship. Right. Yeah. So is is it always um, a man who is uh, the victim of a calling spirit? It's always a particular kind of man. It's a man who's got uh, emotional and psychological issues, or a man who's who's just you know a real jerk. And when the calling spirit encounters, where the man encounters a calling spirit at that point in his life, he's, he's at a stage in his life where he's, he's just inundated by negativity and, and his, his own stupidity. And that's, that's basically the way she likes them. <laughs> Damaged. So, so here we have um, well, along, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> along the Mississippi River, um, we have had a spate of, of deaths. Um, specifically in the city of La Crosse. And, you know, they, they, they've they all uh, basically fit a, a certain profile where where these are young, uh, successful uh, college students usually um, who are lured somehow towards water um, away from their friends. Um, you know, it's a almost invariably a bar situation where they are with their friends at the bar and then their friends lose track of them. And um, then they show up in the river days later drowned. And it's a funny thing because these guys are all like young, healthy, athletic. And I'd lived in lacrosse for a couple of years. I was working at the TV station there when a, when a couple of these incidents had occurred and I lived right by the river where these guys went in. And when I was living in Minneapolis, I lived right by the river where these guys went in. To go in isn't just a thing where like, whoops-a-daisy, I'm falling. It wasn't just like a little railing like it's a line at Disney World. This is, you got to jump over the bridge. And there's got to be a reason that these guys were jumping over the bridge. And I, people were saying there's a Mississippi River killer, that it's a, it's a serial killer kind of thing. But the idea of a calling spirit... Because first of all, it'd be hard to overpower even intoxicated some of these young athletic men. And when you talk about that, this beautiful woman entices them and tricks them. That's right up that alley. Yeah, it has resonance here. And I, we just, you know, I'm just curious to think of, you know, what you 
might think about that. Well, um, we have a place here in Oahu called Lake Wilson, and it's right outside Schofield, uh, you know, the army base. And just like what you're talking about, there's been a history of these young soldiers that go to a bar that's near Lake Wilson. And the next morning or a couple days later, they, they find the soldier's car parked at the lake. And they find the body of the soldier fully clothed, cell phone, wallet, in the pocket. And the uh, forensics guys have, have told me it almost seems as if the, the soldier willingly just walked into the lake and uh, went willingly. But nobody can figure out why. But the Hawaiians know that Lake Wilson originally belonged to what they called a, a mo'uwaihine, a, a female water spirit who preys on specific kinds of men you know, and lures them. That's exciting. Not, not, not exciting in the way like dead people sweet. Uh, even though in our business, it is dead people sweet. Uh, <laughs> well, you know. But what's interesting is how cross-cultural that particular legend is. When you get the, Kel- right. you know, the Kelpie, the Celtic legend of the Kelpie, to, you know, we have the same kind of water spirit legends. Uh, the Lakota have a, a similar type of, of legend up by the, the upper Mississippi in the Minnesota area. And now we have these native Hawaiian legends, uh, the same kind of these female water spirits that just love killing dudes. Yeah. Well, yeah. These, you know, these particular uh, soldiers have, have been through a couple of tours in, in the Middle East and, uh, you know, PTSD uh, issues are reacclimating themselves into modern society or whatever and they disappear and they find them in a lake yeah Yeah. and so there's so many bars out there near bodies of water where you don't find people and then you know (laughs) in certain areas it's like you can't keep people from going in it's it's like there's something not quite right about that Mm -hmm. absolutely you know, just just how localized it seems to be, um, and and you just reminded me too of um, uh, a story uh, that we have uh, in Milwaukee here that happened uh, in the 1920s, and I just want to get your read on it. So uh, there's this little boy who um, he had uh, reported to his parents that he was being followed by a shadow, and so nobody saw it but him he said it was like a white shadow that was following him and then his father noticed that you know he didn't want to go to bed and he would be watching the corners uh and just you know just terrorized and but the dad you know eventually made him go to bed and then um this poor little child just nine years old goes to bed and then the father's awakened in the in the night by him calling out and then uh, he goes to, to see his little boy and, and the boy is like in some kind of trance um, relating to him, you know, that he that he's swimming with the fishes and also uh, kind of um, yelling at this the spirit saying, oh, you can't get me. You can't fool me. And then the dad shakes him awake. And then. Of course, the next morning, what do you got to do? You got to go to work. So, and that's what the dad did. He left his little boy in the care of a neighbor. And unfortunately, she lost track of him and he ran off to Lake Michigan. And the investigators at the time also deduced that it seemed like, you know, when they found his body, that what had happened to him is he dropped his pole and just walked into the water. 
And that was their assessment of what happened to this poor little boy. So I was curious about, in your cosmology, you know, what do you think happened there? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I know that's kind of a big question, but when I find these stories in local folklore, I'm like, whoa, come on now, something happened there. Right. I don't know what it is. So uh, during the plantation era here, I think it was about the 1920s or 30s, there's a a newspaper article that came out and it had to do with the island of, of Hawaii in a plantation village. This little boy was, was telling his parents that, you know, he wanted to go play because uh, the boy who lived by the pond wanted him to play. And, you know, they didn't want to be bothered. And finally, they're like, yeah, yeah, go play, go play. And so the boy goes off to play with his friend near the pond and he doesn't come back. And so now there's a search party looking for this little boy that disappeared. And the next day, they, they find him in the pond. And the pond is very clear. And the way they find him is, is he's sitting down. Uh, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone's culture. But this is what the newspaper article said. He's sitting down Indian style. Sure. Right underneath the surface Cross of the leg. water. Yeah. Right underneath the surface of the water, you can see him sitting there, uh, hands folded in his lap, and just staring out straight in front of him. But, but he's dead. He's drowned. But they said the position of the body and the expression on the face was as if he was having a conversation with someone. So the idea that caught like someone's beckoning you, you know, like come into the lake. It's it's hey, it's okay. Come on into the pond. Everything's going to be great. (laughs) You know, that kind of (laughs) thing. And and the the fact that those kind of stories happen cross culture. Oh, is, is that's why I get excited because it's the idea that the the fact that they show up. It's like the story of the flood shows up in all these different mythologies right. across the planet. Yeah. It's like the fact the story of the flood means okay, it may not have been Noah and the ark and two by two and the animals on the boat, but but something happened. It was wet yeah. for like it was wet for a while all around the world. Like what exactly happened? You know, right. It reverberates in folklore. It reverberates in history. And yeah, before we go, we have to talk about the fairies because that's another cross cultural thing. You guys have the Manihuni over there. Did I say it right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us um, some stories of the Manihuni? Who are the Manihuni? Who are the Manihuni? In spite of what you might've seen on that uh, TV program, uh, searching for Bigfoot who came here. um, Yeah. Uh, Menehune are not little big, Bigfoot people. <laughs> so, oh my God. <laughs> it is believed by the people who live on the island, the Hawaiian island of Molokai, that they were the first people before the Polynesian migration from the south. And they believe that they are the survivors of the Pacific landmass called Lemuria and that they are the Mu people. And so they're considered the first Hawaiians. And in our legends, when the mass migration came from Polynesia and introduction of the uh, royal class system and human sacrifice, those invading Polynesians called those first people who were on Molokai uh, the Manohune, or the people with little power, you know, the, the diminished people. And so that's, that's basically how that, that term was born. But the Menihune are, are people who are maybe about three feet tall but fully formed human beings. And their supernatural power is that they can build great structures in one single night. And that they're also able to, to help people who are, you know, deserving of their help. And they like to eat certain types of fish, a certain type of banana. And 
I was aware, as Glenn Grant was, of a family, Hawaiian family, family that still exists today. And the responsibility is one month out of the year, they set food out for the Minigwini, who are making a journey from, you know, the big island where the volcano is, uh, down the island chain, and the journey finishes on the island of Hawaii. So every island has a family whose responsibility it is to set food out for the Minigwini before they finally make it to Kauai. And on the island of Kauai, they have a place called the Menehune Fish Pond. And archaeologically, it's, it's a wonder because the stones are so perfectly cut and so perfectly fitted together that you can't even pass air or water through it. But it was done during a time when no one should have any uh, types of tools to do. And I think that's awesome. There's a couple of connections there. Number one, now, if you guys are familiar with the Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin, The Game of Thrones, that whole, the, the content of Westeros, the idea is that the first people that lived there were the children of the forest. And so when the, the people came over from the first men, uh, were started to colonize the north, they were running into the children of the forest who were, like you said, like they were small, fairyish type creatures you know, hobbitish, you know, type creatures. They portray them almost fairyish in the TV show. But the fact is, the Menehune really, it sounds like the children of the forest were very influenced by that legend right there. That's interesting. And number two is, wasn't it in Polynesia a couple of years ago uh, or in, in the Pacific area where they found the the hobbit skeletons of an ancestor um, of, of humans who were, uh, or a common ancestor that were like three to four feet tall? That was actually in Indonesia. Yeah, okay. I was going to say. And okay. in 2003. That would make sense because uh, they have found, uh, and excuse me for being uh, an idiot about this, but radiocarbon dating or some sort of artifacts that were uh, Polynesian, intrinsically Polynesian in Indonesia. And so some of the uh, anthropology uh, professors from UH surmised that maybe some of the Hawaiians might have come from that place. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, uh, it was on the island of, of Flores. So it's it's Homo Florensiensis yeah. is the name of the new discovery uh, in 2003 and uh, called the Hobbit, nicknamed the Hobbit because of its diminutive stature. But um, this this is something, you know, this is a, 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 a hominid that was um, about three feet tall. And, um, you know, there's lots of stories um, of the little people of the forest uh, still in Indonesia. And and some scientists believe that, you know, perhaps that line was still uh, existent in in modern times. Yeah. So, yeah. We still have Menehune um, that exist today. Uh, There is a a big suburban neighborhood called uh, Ocean Point, and I still get calls Every few months, you know, from people uh, who say we have uh, little footprints in our ceiling, uh, we hear kids scurrying around in the kitchen. We get down there; it's a big mess. Uh, the funny thing is, where this place, Ocean Point, is, was a, a ancient Hawaiian fishing village, and there happened to be a, a Menehune procession that went through the village. So, those people fed the Menehunes during certain uh, moon phases. And so, I told them, if there's anything to this legend, then they must still be coming through here. But now, the fishing village isn't around, and they're looking to still be fed. Um, last year, I was at a home uh, past Diamond Head, and the the nice lady who owned the home uh, let me host a 13 ghost story thing. And afterwards, she she said, "There's there's Menehune in my house, and it's it's a little uh, dark skinned brown person. It's a man, and the woman sometimes shows up, but only periodically. But she goes into the refrigerator and brings out these Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars, 
<laughs> As you do. Yes. Who do you love Hagendas? <laughs> she hands them out and she says, by the way, you know, they, they happen to like these things when we, we leave them out. As she's talking, uh, her, her house is behind her and we're out on the veranda in the backyard. As she's saying this to, to us, I notice movement behind her on, on her left. And it looked like a little Hawaiian child that scurried from the couch uh, underneath the end table where the lamp was. And it sort of, it sort of peeked out like this and then went like that. And she say, and I'm like, uh, you know, never mind. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw one. Yeah, but I, I did not. I think I was not supposed to acknowledge, you know, that I saw it. Okay. So, well, so when you see something, you might not, you might not be supposed to tell uh, the owner of the home. Well, you don't want to freak them out, you know, because like they might never see it. So. Well, what right. I was really worried about was the 40 people on my tour, you know, bringing out their cameras and everything and, you know, stampeding into the house. And being disrespectful. Yeah. Well, it, you know, purely out of excitement, maybe not being disrespectful. Yeah. Right. Well, like, right. Like, he Dis- saw him in a hoodie. Dis- we going crazy. <laughs> disrespect. Disrespect. A lot of times is, is not intentional. But I think that's interesting. You know, just the idea. First of all, we talk about those hominids, like the tiny, the, the nickname, the Hobbit. The idea of almost that could be a genetic memory into uh, into our modern time, where it's like, yeah, of course we saw. It. And the idea that they might be. Ma- I mean, that always was. When you think about the uh, the the Icelandic sagas, elves are everywhere, all over Scandinavia. Right. You know, people considered like magical, even though they yeah. you know, obviously just regular people who just were small, but right. they, they gave them some kind of, you know, the, the superstition was that they were magic. So humanity seems to have this preternatural inclination to think that little humans are magic. Well, and, and that they're among us. But, you know, uh, going back to our interview with Jeff Holder, Mike, looking at, again, cross-culturally, people throughout Europe, you know, people in um, Iceland, that they are very concerned. Uh, well, still, even the Icelanders are very concerned with construction being appropriate and not building on land that belongs to the fairies, so belongs to the fair folk. So does that go on in, in Hawaii as well? Like this idea that, you know, the Manehuni have to be respected? You know, certainly you said they help people, but do they also harm people? Right, don't put up this resort because the Manehuni are hanging out here. Well, I'll tell you, on the, on the Big Island, there's a, a man who decided to build his property on a known Manehuni path. And his, his neighbors, both Hawaiian and non-Hawaiian, were warning him about it. And, you know, the first thing he said was, ah, stupid Hawaiian superstitions. You know, it's, it's my property. I bought it. It belongs to me. I'll build a house. Builds a huge uh, southern plantation style house. And even even the, the permit guys at the office were telling him once they found out where the house was going to be built, you want to build there? And so he builds it. And about a couple of months later, and this is according to the people who live near him, they they hear this big commotion. And you know the, the sound that a tree makes when it's about to, to fall? <laughs> So they hear that and they hear a crash and they go running to where the property is. One half of the house has been destroyed and just fallen away. And that happened in broad daylight. Wow. Yeah. So I guess he, he shouldn't have built there. That's no. right. What about the H3? When the H3 was being constructed, weren't, weren't there concerns there of uh, Manihuni or um, uh, other uh, 
sacred areas that uh, were going to be impacted by the H3. The H3 is a highway, I assume? Highway. Yes. Yeah, the last one of its kind to be built here. Uh, the valley is called Halava Valley, and um, in our folklore, it's considered to be the birthplace of our two major gods, uh, Papa and Wakea. Wakea is our sky father, Papa is our earth mother. There's also uh, ancient heiau or Hawaiian temples in the valley that were specifically made for, for women, female deities. Ooh, ladies' night. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of powerful places. And in the process of that, that highway being, being built, uh, 17 men lost their lives. And even on the day that the tunnel was open and they were going to let people walk through it, there are eyewitness accounts of a mist coming through the tunnel. They could hear conch shells you know, in the distance, and that they briefly saw a procession of warriors coming through. And so there's countless documented incidents of police officers having to pull people over because, you know, you're not supposed to let your kids jump around in the car. There's only one person driving the car. You know, vehicles stop suddenly for for no reason. Just continuous things, you know, that go on like that. Uh, What I wanted to say very quickly is I, I called to these community meetings where people express their concerns about development in certain areas. And so when it was finally my time to speak, all I said was, I want to thank you developers for doing what you're doing, building on, on sacred lands, places that are, are known to be haunted. And I said, and the reason I want to thank you is because as long as you keep doing this, you'll keep me in business. <laughs> 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 they were not happy. Uh, that's very persuasive. Yes. I like it. <laughs> What I also find is interesting about this, when we're talking about the Minnehone interfering with people's development, uh, talking about interfering, that guy's building something and raising ha- hell and havoc, is we do have some kind of interest in little people. Even So in, in Wisconsin, we have our own story of the haunchies that live inside this barn in uh, Muskego, Wisconsin, and uh, there was a, you know, that, that there was a, a tiny village of magical, scary people that were living. Uh, San Antonio has a, a quote-unquote like midget mansion that one of our friends told a story about how he they would try to sneak in there when they were kids, that they were uh, circus dwarfs who ended up uh, living in a place and wanting to take revenge on, on San Antonio. Also, <laughs> the same kind of thing in Cincinnati, Ohio. There's an area outside of Cincinnati they used to call Tiny Town that were like small houses and kids would play there. And there was another idea that that was a circus dwarf development outside, uh, like a village living outside of Cincinnati, where all of these legends though come down to the same thing. There's little people out there that are either uh, messing with stuff or up to no good or, you know, things like that. And, and the idea that, you know, we just have this obsession with little magical people whether it's going to be a leprechaun or the midget mansion or the Menihuni or the elves in Iceland, where it's like, we can't build there because the elves are there. What? The, the elves need to come to the community meeting. But um, <laughs> like they need to vote for their city council here. Uh, but that whole idea of connecting that, that as, you know, what I really find fascinating is that these stories and a lot of the stories you told us today, Lopaka, which I, number one, thank you for your time. It's been fascinating. Mahalo. Mahalo. Number two, all around the world, people have similar kinds of fascinating, interesting paranormal stories. And the the fact that we can find so many similarities between cultures, just that leads me to believe that we should pay attention because legends and myths always have those nuggets of truth somewhere built, you know, deep in there. And I think we can learn a lot from them. 
Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll loosely translate something from Hawaiian that my, my mother told me years ago. And it's almost Buddhist in the way that she said it. She, she said, people are so busy looking for, for the magic that happens around them. She says, the magic is inside you. She said, once you can manifest that magic outside of you happens naturally. That really has some resonance for me, Lopaka. I, I appreciate yeah. you, you you saying that. And and I wondered too. I mean, I think there's a lot of a lot of meaning, a lot of teachings that we can derive from ancient cultures, you know, such as the Polynesian culture. And I wondered if there's any ancient uh, teachings or or traditional Hawaiian beliefs that that you think are important or should be important to the modern world right now. There is. Uh... There is one, uh, what we call it, a olelo no el, or a Hawaiian proverb. And it basically says, which means in the spoken word, there is life. And in the spoken word, there is death. And so in my family, it was always emphasized that you have to be careful about how you speak to people, what the intent is in the word that you say. Because once the word leaves your body, it's a, it's a living thing. And it affects the way another person thinks, feels uh, about themselves or how they interact with other people. And in that olelo no eel, in that proverb, is basically the lesson of respect. That uh, according to my mother, every human being is worthy of respect. Because it's inherent within them and you have to, have to show it to them. Uh, once you afford even a stranger the, the slightest mode of, of respect... Uh, only good things can happen. And <clears throat> my mother said, do not be mad at the person because they're Japanese, because of uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, because that one Japanese person is not responsible for it. You cannot hold one person responsible for the actions of, of other people. And she said, don't be mad at your brother because, you know, he, he did this. He's your brother. And you can't hold him responsible for, for the actions of of his friends. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, could you, could you repeat that Hawaiian proverb again in, in the native Hawaiian? Oh. And that means in the spoken word, there is life. And in the spoken word, there's death. Yes. Because we had no written language. Uh, Hawaiians firmly believed that the word was a living thing because everything was passed down through oral tradition. And so, really, we, we don't call our stories uh, myths or legends. It's known as oral, oral traditions that have been passed down. And so, just like your ancestors, the both of you, when you talk to, to me about your ancestors, I don't consider them as past tense because they're still with you. you know, no matter where you go, someone from your family is still with you, like even right now. <laughs> that, that's great radio mike he just, he, just, he just looked behind him with a terrified stare well i think that's was a, that grandma i think it's grandma sneaking by me but that was beautiful and i think going forward if as as people we can we can bring in more beliefs than just you know western beliefs which, which seem to uh cut us off you know like the as i was saying reductionist materialist when you think about reductionism you know you're reducing yourself that's what you're really doing yeah. uh you know when when you ascribe to um these typical western beliefs uh of today 
And I think um, when you look to uh, traditional cultures, there, there's certainly things in there that you can really uh, open yourself up to to enrich your life and, and then in turn enrich the lives of others and the planet itself. Absolutely. And if you want to enrich your life by going on Lopaka's tour, where can our audience find you when they decide to visit Oahu and go on the Mysteries of Hawaii? Where can they find you? Uh, Mysteries-of-Hawaii.com. Okay. And we will have that link in the show notes so that you guys can go there and check it out at othersidepodcast.com slash 136. We have a link to Mysteries Hawaii. Jeb, uh, anything else where you want to send people or places where they can go to find you? Well, go to the Facebook fan page. That's Mysteries of Honolulu. Okay. And we always, we, we're all updating it constantly. Okay, well, we're going to have links to all of that in the show notes. So you guys be able to click on, you're going to be able to uh, see Lopaka, bother him. And uh, <laughs> definitely bother him when you go to visit Hawaii and take the Yes, Mysteries make him tour. talk to you because he's incredible. <laughs> and uh, we want to thank you for your time today. Absolutely. I uh, hope you end up enjoying the rest of your day. We appreciate uh, you taking a couple hours to talk with us. Well, thanks for trusting me. I appreciate it. That's all. Fan- fantastic. So uh, have a great day and aloha. Aloha. So make sure you check the show notes to find out when you go to Hawaii, you are going to want to take the Mysteries of Hawaii tour and meet Lopaka in person for yourself. I think I'm just going to have to go to Hawaii just for that, actually. Yeah. So I've got to get that on my radar. Yeah, and we do a paranormal pub crawl from Oahu. <laughs> Indeed. So for the song this week, one of the things we were inspired by in the conversation was the fact that Lopaka had been shot twice on the TV show Hawaii Five O. He's like, yeah, both the times I was a you know murder victim. And he talked about that in the interview. So one thing he's got to be is a good-looking corpse. And that's this week's song, Good Looking Corpse, from the album Loser of the Year. Well, I'm so bored that I could die But at least I'm leaving good-looking corpse
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. One last thing we wanted to thank our Patreon, Dr. Ned, for thanks, all of Doc. his great support and for his suggestions for fun places to go in haunted New Orleans. And also thanks to our patron, John, who uh, suggested that I visit, or that we visit. Jean Lafitte. Jean Lafitte's a blacksmith shop. The oldest, oh. they say it's the oldest bar in New Orleans. Yes, and we did head down there, and it was very cool and very old. Yeah. If you guys would like to become part of the greatest paranormal podcast, pop culture, rock and roll community that ever exists on the planet, yes. othersidepodcast.com slash donate is where you can join the fun. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Do it. But paranormal. The paranormal. Ah. Oh. Little windscreen. Let's make it better. Paranormal. Okay. The paranormal. <laughs> I can't talk now. <laughs> Bumpy road.